2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are continuing our top 10 prospects podcast series today with the New York Mets. And to do that, we are joined by Matt Eddy, the longest-tenured employee here at Baseball America, now our co-executive editor. Matt has done the Met system for years and years and years, knows this franchise and this talent base as well as anyone else. Matt, first and foremost, how are you doing?
3: Oh, good, Kyle. Thank you for uh, soldiering through all 30 of
2: these. Yeah, it's always fun talking baseball. Glad to uh, give some more insight as to what's going on in these teams' farm systems Matt, before we dive into the Mets farm system, we do have to kind of address where this organization is. 2021 was a very tumultuous year in the organization. In January, newly hired general manager Jared Porter was fired after reports emerged that he had sent unsolicited, sexually explicit photos to a female reporter during his time with the Cubs. A few months later, in May, the Mets fired hitting coach Chili Davis. He then came out and criticized the organization and its processes and practices. Then in the summer, they failed to sign first round pick Kamar Rocker, which obviously led to a lot of questions about the organization, their draft philosophy, how that could have happened, and also why they didn't make some picks later in the draft to account for this potential outcome. And then moving further into the fall, Zach Scott, who was promoted to acting general manager after Jared Porter was fired, was himself fired after he was arrested on a DWI charge. He was arrested in September, fired in November. He was eventually acquitted of that charge. And to top it all off, the Mets finished under 500 after being in first place into mid August. They set the record for the most days in first place by a major league team that finished with a losing record that season 105 days. They went 29 and 45 in the second half. Uh, the Javier Baez trade did not work out, the thumbs down incident. At the end of all of it, manager Luis Rojas was fired. Just a tumultuous season on so many levels for the Mets. This offseason, after a long search, they eventually hired Billy Epler, the former Angels general manager and Yankees assistant general manager. He's now the GM. And longtime manager Buck Showalter is back on the bench. He will be the Mets manager for 2022. Matt, after everything that happened this year, where is this franchise in this organization?
3: Uh, well, uh, d- based on their, their offseason activity, signing uh, four players for $250 million, they're Clearly committed to 2022, uh, you know, and perhaps, you know, <laughs> the big if being if Jacob deGrom can stay healthy, you know, there's reason to see why they're committed in, in such a way. Uh, the 2021 team, their, their schedule was a little front loaded with weaker opponents. They got off to a fast start. That might've been illusory. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're quite as bad as their second half showing, but they are not really like a traditional first place team based on their components. You know, and getting some, some better lineup functionality and start and, and just pitching depth is going to be key for them in 2022.
2: Yeah, you mentioned the free agent signings. First and foremost among them is Max Scherzer, that's a big one, as well as Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna. They really strengthen the rotation, the bench, the outfield. So they're making moves. Uh, but as you mentioned, this is a team that like every team, will need reinforcements. And the main question is, when you look at this farm system, how prepared is it to provide those reinforcements during the season?
3: On the pitching side, they're not well-equipped, I don't think, for for this season. I think in 2023, you can begin to see some chance for for pitchers to come up. But I think a lot of of the impact, (laughs) a lot of the crucial innings they're going to need help with, it's probably not going to come from within for this season. You know, the most likely pitcher to come up is probably somebody like Adam Aller, a minor league rule five pick who they, you know, they turned into a potential swing man type of guy, number five starter type. He's somebody, uh, he was their organization pitcher of the year. Um, And in terms of offense, they do have some triple A guys who are ready to contribute. Khalil Lee, Nick Plummer would probably be the two most prominent, but these guys are more part-time outfielders. I think, Later in the season, there's a chance we see Brett Beatty. There's a chance we see Mark Vientos. It's hard to say what to expect from them, you know, as as young Major League rookies, but there is a chance we see them.
2: What would you say are the strengths and weaknesses of the Mets-Farm system right now?
3: Well, I can't recall a time they've had as much upper-level position depth as they have uh, with number one prospect Francisco Alvarez, number two Brett Beatty, um, the third baseman. Uh, shortstop Ronnie Mauricio, and third baseman Mark Mientos. I think historically the Mets have been a pitching dominant uh, farm system and major league team, so this is a bit of a novelty for them. So you know, by the end of 23, we might be seeing all these guys in Queens, but for, for the shorter term, not, not as much, but the, the weakness is clearly upper-level pitching because they don't really have much going on there
2: will say one of the things that is intriguing about the Mets is this is an organization that for all the issues they've had in recent years, uh, whether it's ownership-based, whether it's management-based, whether it was coaching-based or player-based, this is an organization that has done a sneaky good job of developing homegrown talent, whether it's guys who are drafted, whether it's guys who are signed internationally. I wrote about this a little bit around the futures game when Francisco Alvarez came up and really, really stood out. And just talking to, him, to some officials and evaluators around the game right now, there are some out there who think he's, either already a top 10 prospect in baseball or darn close to one and really if he is that it would just be the next in a long line of, of homegrown successes with that can the Mets build on that to once again get back to the postseason because it has been a rough couple of years
3: yeah I think so I think the 23 window is a possibility you know probably more likely 24 getting contributions and you know, not to mention the, the prospect of trading prospects to improve the major league team as well. That's also on the table, I would say. I I wouldn't expect Alvarez to be traded and probably not Beatty, but you know a lot of a lot of major league teams do function that way, trading those guys. So, I mean, especially the Mets. I mean, I, I would doubt any team has traded as many top draft picks as the Mets. Like if you just want want a partial list, you have Jared Kellanick, you have Pico Armstrong, you have Justin Dunn, Anthony Kaye, Isaiah Green, Josh Wolfe, Simeon Woods Richardson. It's just been a litany of, uh, of guys they liked in the draft and, and spent to sign who've been traded away to help major the major league team.
2: Yeah, and obviously those are the type of deals that at some point every team needs to trade prospects to get guys to put them over the top, but obviously there's concern about whether or not those deals will come back to bite the Mets, particularly the Jared Kalanick for Edwin Diaz trade. Obviously there were other components, but those were the core players there. Moving into this farm system, because again, even with those trades, there is a pretty good group of talent here at the top of this system, and Francisco Alvarez tops that. He had a really promising showing in his pro debut in 2019 at the rookie levels got to make his full season debut in 2021 and was frankly one of the breakout players in the minor leagues hit for average hit for power got on base as we mentioned went to the futures game and showed very very well there What kind of player do the Mets have here? Just because, again, there's always a lot of risk when you're talking about low-level catchers. Again, he's yet to play above high A. He was 19 for the entire season. He only turned 20 in November. So very young catcher with a long way to go. It's a very risky profile. At the same time, it does feel like there's a lot of confidence that this guy can be an impact player as long as he stays healthy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's impact hit, impact power. He
2: does it pretty easy,
3: and he's the rare catching prospect who you could see as a middle order type of hitter. And I think even beyond that, you know, he's he's strong work ethic. Um, he takes on a mentorship role. I know the Mets were were pleased to see him help. You know, mentor younger Latin players at the um, at the off season hitting camp. I mean, he's just that kind of personality, teammate. Kind of the kind of guy who teammates are drawn to, and you know backs it up on the field as a um, highly productive player.
2: Is there a drawback here? Because, again, we talk about young catchers. But when you start reading the report, you talk to evaluators about him. It's like, hey, probably got a good chance to hit for average. He's definitely going to hit for power. You mentioned the leadership components defensively. All the ingredients are there for him to be an above-average catcher. Or I should say at least an average catcher. An above-average arm. As you put together your scouting reports, when you put a sixty hit, sixty power on him, which is rare for any player, especially a catcher, what needs to happen for him to get to these lofty, you know, expectations? And what are some of the things to maybe keep an eye on just as he moves through the system? Hmm. No, that's
3: interesting. You know, as you mentioned, it is the road to playing every day in the majors as a catcher is, is fraught, and um, it, it is rare to see catchers play every day when they're, when they're very young. You know, the exceptions are guys like Yadier Molina and Salvador Perez. So that does kind of, kind of put him at a bit of a disadvantage just from a historical context. But, you know, the, the reviews are so loud that he, he could be one who, who defies the expectations. You know, it's, in terms of what, what he has to do, you know, it's just pretty much just get the reps, just, just build the rapport with pitchers and, and focus on that that development, you know, they, they definitely wanted to get him out of the automated balls and strikes in low way so that they could get him working with an umpire for that specific reason to kind of help present pitches and, and help his pitchers along.
2: Is there any concern about the body just given he is a big guy, 5'11", 233 pounds at such a young age?
0: Yeah, sure.
3: Um, you know, scouts have mentioned that he, you know, I think in their terminology, that he folds up well behind the plate and, um, you know, looks like, looks like a natural there. He's been a catcher his whole life.
2: Yeah, it's certainly an exciting prospect, again, and someone that Mets fans are rightfully very excited about. Based on your discussions with evaluators, I assume it's safe to say he was the clear-cut number one prospect in the system.
3: Yeah, and the, the surprising thing there is that even after the lost season, just watching him at um, the alternate site – they were similarly convinced even though other players in the system had reached higher levels and accomplished a little more professionally so yeah
2: you mentioned brett beatty ronnie mauricio and mark vientos being the other three main players in this group of really talented position player prospects the mets have based on everything that happened last year in terms of their performance what they showed evaluators your discussions with uh, officials both inside and outside the mets organization How did this next group kind of stack up and ultimately what kind of put Brett Beatty over the top?
3: Uh, With Beatty, it's the mature hitting approach. I I kind of, he's kind of viewed as a, um, you know, a strong hitter first who has power and has a good chance to develop more as he matures his approach. You know, right now, the ground ball profile is a little high. Um, it's, It's something that kind of impacts like Alec like Bohm in the majors this year he had a, had a bit of an issue with that, so he's got to do a little retooling. So it's it's kind of something that um, the ingredients are there. You know, his Futures Game BP was impressive. You know, the raw power is there. It's just a matter of of you know um,
2: finding the right opportunities to maximize it. Defensively, where does he project to end up? He was drafted as a third baseman. There's been some discussion about whether he's there, whether he should go play to the outfield a little bit. He got some time in left field this year. What is his defensive outlook?
3: I think you could expect average at third and, you know, playable in left field is probably the the best way. You know, at least internally, the Mets view him as somebody who is a better athlete than he looks. You know, he does perform pretty well on their internal metrics. athletic ability somebody who's very motivated to get better athletically as well
2: ronnie mauricio is someone who has been somewhat of a big name in the prospect world for a couple of years now and every year it seems like there's a lot of talk about you know his potential and everything he does you know that's just so promising you look at the body you look at the strength you look at the power Um, But he's a very, very aggressive hitter. He posted a sub 300 on base percentage this year uh, at high A and a little bit of time at double A. And you look at the overall career performance and it's been somewhat underwhelming. Uh, The 112 strikeouts to 26 walks this year was concerning. How do you evaluate this guy and, and where's the optimism and where's also the pessimism?
3: Yeah, I mean, you hit on the downside. There is the very real chance that he's more of a low on base slugger, you know, somebody you want batting like sixth perhaps. Um, if he provides the infield value, that might still be a good outcome for him. I think the optimism comes in where, uh, you know, the Mets did uh, challenge him to clean up his batting profile. Uh, he did improve his chase rate. He did improve his, his uh, maximum exit velocity during the season. Um, and that raw power is – is really there scouts (laughs) scouts comment on that most most of most of all it's like easy 70 raw and you know the type of body to to comfortably project plus raw in the majors
2: is he going to clean up his approach enough to make enough contact to be an everyday major leaguer
3: well the evidence is scant right now um it's, it's it's hard to say absolutely not but i think i think there is a role given what he can do defensively, you know, playing short, third base. I think he's also athletic enough to handle an outfield corner. So I mean, the power might be enough to get him in the lineup. It's just a matter of how high in the lineup
2: I think. And then lastly you have Mark Ventos who was a second rounder a couple of years ago and I uh, got some good reviews last year, just some of his work during the shutdown. Came out this year and, and had really his best season as a professional, across double A AA and triple A, hit for power, hit for average, got on base. It was one of the more productive years in the minors, uh, 25 home runs in only 83 games. What do the Mets have here?
3: Yeah, um, I, they have an, an aggressive fly ball hitter who hits the ball hard, hits it in the air, hits it for power. It's at all fields um, you know I think he does have some of the the, the plate discipline issues that Mauricio has where he's not quite he's not quite where you want him to be in terms of that but I think I think he has the power to overcome a lot of that <laughs> one of the, one of the fun aspects of, of the too is he has a <laughs> it's described to me that he has a bit of a, a chip on his shoulder that he's not regarded in the same class as the as the three prospects ahead of him so he's got kind of that He's got kind of that motivating factor. You know, it's not not that he's pouting. It's just he's, he's just motivated to kind of join that
2: group. From a production standpoint, it certainly makes you think a little bit that it would not be a surprise to see him outperform some of these guys who's ranked higher than he is. Is there a perception there that maybe he is underrated and could very well outperform some of these guys ahead of him?
3: It's possible. I think with the the power over hit guys, you got to give them a little more leash, especially against the advanced pitchers in the majors. You know, sometimes we see them blossom a little later, and that could be the case here. Um, because you know, this is another case like like Mauricio. This is another case where the power is just the raw power is just crazy good. You know, it's it's it's, it's rare ability to take the ball deep, especially with the pull side.
2: All right, Matt, so this was the clear-cut top four in the system, as you mentioned, a really good position player group. I want to dive into kind of the back of this top 10 and some of the depth of this system. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break.
4: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
2: And we're back breaking down the New York Mets farm system with Matt Eddy. All right, Matt, we talked about the position player group at the top of the system, the potential they hold, and why Mets fans can reasonably be optimistic about these guys appearing in Queens sometime in the next couple of years and potentially making an impact for this team. On the pitching side, there are some players here who come with pedigree, but there are injury concerns. Uh, First and foremost is Matt Allen, who was a third-round pick in 2019. A lot of people felt he was a first-round talent, and he did get first-round money. Had Tommy John surgery in 2021. He was out the entire season. He'll be out for at least half of 2022. And then right behind him was JT Ginn, who, again, was a first-round caliber talent at Mississippi State. Had Tommy John surgery. The Mets drafted him while he was injured, rehabbed him, and he made his pro debut at Lowe's St. Lucie in June of last year. What's the status of these two pitchers, and ultimately how did you go about stacking them up with Allen finishing just ahead of Gin?
3: Yeah, Allen clearly has the best arm in the system when healthy. You can make a case from higher on the list. Uh, we won't really see him until closer to the mid midpoint of 2022, but, you know, the, the three-pitch mix is loud. He really convinced a lot of people about change of quality at the alternate site in 2020. He's always had the fastball and curveball, um, so I think there's there's tremendous upside here if you really wanted to dream it'd be like number two you know but still very unproven he's just got like a handful of innings in the complex league as a pro
2: and then what were the reviews on jt gidd here as he made his pro debut and really his first outings on the mound since having surgery
3: yeah he's uh you know more like a number four-ish type of starter you know good fastball slider has a good changeup. just has to it, the potential for a good changeup is in there. I should say it's just a matter of, of 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 more conviction and executing it. But there is a you know a three pitch right handed starter with some good makeup traits and um, better proximity than any other uh, pitcher in the Mets system who has upside. So
2: yeah, again finished the year with ten starts. at High Brooklyn theory goes to Double A next year, and being a, a college guy, I think it wouldn't be a surprise if we see him at City Field, say 2023, and maybe provide them that's a little bit of that pitching depth that again, every team needs. But these top six prospects are, again, players who in the prospect world, at least are somewhat known. They were big international signees. They were top draft picks. They are guys who have performed. After this, the depth does drop off a little bit. I feel like it's safe to say these six guys were clear cut top 10 talents How many other players were kind of in the mix here? You you picked four guys, obviously, for the 7-10 to group. How many names were kind of in the mix here to fill out the back of the list?
3: Yeah, it it was very unsettled after after that group you mentioned. I think Alex Ramirez, the the low-way center fielder, probably has the best upside case, you know, because he's very toolsy. Uh, Questions surround whether he'll be able to hit, you know, get his swing together to to hit enough for all the tools to play. Uh, But he's got upside, you know. Khalil Lee is more of, a, um, more of a floor than ceiling guy, but he's, he's close to the majors, has some major league experience, too. And then we just have some lottery tickets, um, some young, some teenage right-handers, Joel Diaz and, and Kelvin Ziegler. Ziegler being the second-round pick this year, who ended up being their uh, top pick by virtue of Rocker not signing.
2: I want to start with Alexander Ramirez. The Mets made him their top international target back in 2019, gave him $2.05 million. What was notable about him is the Mets challenged him with an assignment to low A St. Lucie. Pretty much right away, he played really well and extended, and they pushed him up in June, a month into the season. He got there. To low A, I should say, a lot quicker than than a lot of other really prominent prospects in that signing class. The numbers weren't exceptional, but again, this was a very very young player who really didn't have a whole lot of experience before going to low A. What were the early reviews on him?
3: Yeah, I think he nailed it. You know, he, as the Mets described it, he was too good for extended, so they had to challenge him. And you know, you saw the struggles, uh, you know, but he he did outperform a lot of players in his signing class. You know, some bigger names just on the field this year. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a chance for if – if he bulks up a little bit and adds some strength, there's a chance for profile right field tools here. Uh, but it's really about
2: getting getting
3: the swing to work consistently uh, t- to hit.
2: And you mentioned Joel Diaz and Calvin Ziegler, two newer additions to the Mets system. Diaz signed during the 2020-2021 signing period. Ziegler, as you mentioned, a second-round pick last year what made them the picks to go in these final slots in the top 10? Yeah. Diaz, a 17 year old, um,
3: had had the lowest ERA I could find in, in Dominican summer league history going back, you know, at least as far as the the records online could be searched had the lowest ERA by a 17 year old that I could find. And and that's a product of, um, you know, just being a, a strike thrower with a wider repertoire, good velocity, You know in in projection and athleticism that really hint that there's some more levels for him to reach Uh, so there's there's a lot of positive indicators but you know risk (laughs) the risk factor is just it just breaks any scale you would try to use
2: three earned runs in 50 and a third innings this year in the dsl Uh, at 0.54 era Certainly, really, really appealing. Uh, but again, DSL performance—you always want to take with a little bit of a grain of salt, or a larger one, I should say—and uh, see what he does when he gets stateside. But for his age, and as you mentioned, the wide repertoire, wide repertoire—it's all good things. And then Ziegler, as you mentioned, he was a Canadian high school player, and it was really kind of an interesting backstory with him. He actually came south to a Florida charter school, as well as a travel team in Ohio. Ultimately, performed well enough for the Mets to take him with a second-round pick, and what did the Mets see and like, and what's the overall outlook for Calvin Ziegler?
3: Yeah, from the Mets' perspective, Ziegler was trending up later in the draft process. And it, they think that had more teams seen him, there would have been more interest in him earlier, you know, and that, that's just speculation. But I do know that um, some teams indicated that he would not have made it back around to the third round. Um, so, you know, the Mets taking him where they did if they valued him there. could turn out to be a good move um you know power fastball power breaking ball kind of the attributes you want to see from a um 18 year old high schooler and you know didn't pitch after he signed because of some visa issues but you know it's it's just one of those pitchers you'll have a lot better idea starting next year of what, what they have
2: matt as you mentioned there's a pretty good top four and then two pitchers who are fairly well known who there are some injury concerns, but nonetheless, clear-cut top 10 guys, and 7 to 10 is, is kind of a lottery ticket group, or in the case of a guy like a Kololi, more of a contributor type who happens to be close to the majors. But even in systems where maybe there isn't a tremendous amount of depth, there are always guys who pop up, guys who make big jumps or, or are better than people expect them to be. Who are some of the guys maybe in the back half of the system, say the 15 to 30 range, to maybe keep an eye on?
3: Yeah, okay. Um, I think an encouraging step this year, uh, these are small samples we're dealing with with these players, but for an organization that had no, that hasn't really had any left handed pitching presence since Stephen Matz was a prospect, um, the steps shown by uh, Luis Rodriguez, the left hander, they have, they have two players by that name, but he's the 19 year old Dominican left hander. Him and uh, Javier Atencio really stood out. You know, power arms from the left side, which is something. You know, it's, it's really refreshing for the system because it's something they've lacked. So those are two guys I would definitely keep an eye on. I know the Mets internally are excited about some of the college pitchers they got uh, after the second round. They got Dominic Hamill and, and Mike Vasel from Virginia. I think those two arms, they are very optimistic on based on what they saw in the pro debuts.
2: Yeah, and again, this is a player development group that's done a really, really good job getting guys to the majors. Now, sometimes it's for the Mets, other times it's for other teams. But nonetheless, drafting and player development has been a strength of the Mets. Matt, would you say that the pieces are in place in this system to get the Mets over the hump and back to the postseason? Yeah, we saw them sign a lot of guys this year, spend a lot of money. Is it mostly going to come from free agency and what's already in the majors, or is it going to come from this farm system? What's this going to look like?
3: My hunch is that a lot of the the pitching that they're going to need to win, if they're going to win is going to have to come from outside the organization, uh, at least in the next two to three seasons. Um, But I do think there is a foundation in place for a window after that period. And, and really when you think about the 2022 season, it could be a a turning point for the organization. If some things break their way, Uh, you know, Jeremy Barnes, they hired his farm director, and he, his hitting initiatives, I think, if they work, as they worked, as he helped implement with the Astros, where we had college performers like Chaz McCormick, Jeremy Pena, uh, Jake Myers turn into legitimate pro prospects, if he's able to kind of clone that and bring it to the Mets, there is some hope that the hitters will develop better than is expected right now. And the other key thing to keep in mind for this farm system is the 2022 draft will be key um, by virtue of getting the compensatory pick for not signing Rocker, having their own 14th overall pick, and then having compensatory picks for Noah Syndergaard and Michael Conforto once he signs. Uh, the Mets are looking at the highest or one of the highest bonus pools for, for 2022. So that's a potential a franchise changer.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Again, new management in place, Billy Epler taking over as general manager. We'll see what him and his regime are able to do with that opportunity. But again, it's been a tough couple of seasons for the Mets. As we've seen last year, might've been the toughest season of them all. And as you mentioned, a turning point is something this franchise definitely hopes to have here sometime in the near future. And we'll see if it comes in 2022. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insight as always. Thank you, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe.